Well, today we are in Colossians chapter 1, looking today just at verse 24. And Lord, we come before you and lift up all these needs physically, Lord, in our body. We ask you to bring healing and the power of your spirit of miracles amongst us. And we ask, Lord, that you would just today in a mighty way speak your word with power and of the Holy Spirit, that all of us would have ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, you guys remember that Colossae is in the Lycus Valley, which is found in Turkey today. The main move of God in the majority of the, of the churches were in Turkey, which is interesting. And um, Paul is writing from Rome, from a prison. He's writing this particular letter because of the strange doctrines that are affecting the believers there. And uh, mainly helping them understand who God really is, and in particular, who the Son Jesus is. Looking at this so far, just in this chapter, in the first 20 verses, it tells us in chapter 1, verse 15, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What does God look like? Jesus, exactly. In verse 16, for by him all things were created. He is the creator of heavens and earth, physical realms, spiritual realms. Everything has been created by Jesus. And in him all things consist, hold together. The atoms are held together. Science doesn't know why atoms are holding together right now. Because from their understanding, they shouldn't be holding together. Everything should be falling apart. But yet it's Jesus is the one that's holding everything together, even the most uh, smallest atom. And in verse 18, he is the preeminent one, the name above all names. There is no greater than Jesus in all the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible. And in verse 19, it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. So in his Son, in the triunity of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that all of the fullness of the Godhead would dwell within him. And then verse 20, the final one here. You were once alienated in enemies in your mind and wicked works, yet he has reconciled us. It's because of the cross that we can now come into the Father. We can come into the Holy of Holies. Remember Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. The the giant thick curtain that separated the holy holies from the rest of the court to the priest was ripped at the same moment from top to bottom just to let you know it wasn't anybody that did it it was god it's a very very high not a very big temple but very very tall and now we all can come as priests of god all of us are kings and priests and our god into the holy of holies now today in verse 24 He says, and now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. First of all, now I rejoice in the sufferings for you. While in that Roman jail, he knows that he is there because he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He is suffering, but it's not getting him down. It's not bumming him out. You got to understand that Christianity of Paul's day 
that Christians were getting thrown into the lion's den, burned alive, tortured to nth degrees, put into the gladiators, you know, and, and he understands. I may die. I'm suffering right now. I'm in prison, but it, it's, it's fine with me. I rejoice in that. You know, we have never in America so far experienced such persecution for our faith. Getting there. Give it a year or so. But we look at the different letters that have been written, especially the later epistles. They were all having to address this issue because Christians are going, uh, shouldn't God keep me out of prison? Shouldn't, keep God, shouldn't God use all his power and keep me from being burned alive? Shouldn't, you know, ever since I came to Christ, like somebody in Iran or Afghanistan or, or uh, even India today, they become a Christian, their wife will no longer talk to them. Sometimes their kids won't talk to them. It's a family business. They've lost their job. They've lost their house. They go get baptized. They come up out of the waters of baptism and sometimes they're stoned to death or imprisoned. And they know coming to Christ means all of those things up front. But the Christians that first came to Christ Right after Jesus raised from the dead, there wasn't such persecution because Christianity wasn't very far spread out. But once Christianity began to affect the Roman government, then the crackdowns came and said, hey, you worship Caesar only or get put to death. And so there ended up being great suffering um, in that first generation Christian church. And they didn't sign up for that. <laughs> when they received the Lord, they didn't realize that it may end up in prison and put to death and lose your home and lose your family. And, but they quickly did see that's the effect. And so Paul is saying, hey, this is part of the Christian experience for some. Not for everybody, but for some. And I, I, I rejoice in it. Of course, Paul had a unique ministry, didn't he? Before he became a Christian, there in Acts 9, the Lord told Ananias, go lay hands on Brother Saul. And he said, he's a chosen vessel of mine, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul was sort of the spearhead of what would follow with Christian suffering for the cause of Christ. Why is Paul rejoicing in his sufferings? The number one above all reasons is out of love. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ compels me because we judge thus, if one died for all, Jesus, then all died. We all died with him. Our sins did. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Some of the most important words in that verse. Christ died to teach us that we should no longer live for ourselves because Jesus did not live for himself. Everything Jesus did was for others. And so now we, for him who died for them and rose again. So we also now want to share in his death and resurrection for others. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his own, what? Love towards us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to understand that Christ went through all the suffering. Remember uh, Isaiah 52, a man acquainted with grief and sorrow, 
Men looked on him in Nazareth and outside of Nazareth and said, now there's a guy who's smitten and stricken of God. Jesus had never things flowing without spiritual attack. <laughs> Even as a child, his life was one grief, one difficulty after the next. But again, that was all his plan to suffer at all points as a man can suffer, that he could be our comforter now. And of course, we know John 3.16, for God so what? Loves the world. He gave his only begotten son. It was out of love that God did all that the father did. It's out of love that Jesus did all that Jesus did. And Paul is doing all that he's doing out of love for the same thing God loves, the church. Romans 5, 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us. So the love is there by imputation. <laughs> the moment we believed on the Lord, the Holy Spirit came, circumcised our heart from that old sin nature, but he also filled us with the spirit of agape love, his love. And so we have the ability to not put ourselves first, but put everybody else first. And in Luke 10, 27, it says to love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And in the same way, it's not one, it's two parts. Love your neighbor as yourself. Sort of a horrible thing about humanity. But we know how to love ourselves. They're out there telling you, you've got to first learn how to love yourself. Nah, we do that from the day we're born. We know how to love ourselves. So just think how you want to love on yourself and, and do that for somebody else. But it's the truth about us. The other reason that Paul rejoiced in suffering is because he was honored. He was honored that God granted him the ability to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. In Acts 5.41, remember there, the apostles, right after they were um, rebuked and beaten for preaching the gospel, it says they departed the presence of the council rejoicing that they, what? Were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They were all very embarrassed by this. They were all good, upstanding citizens. But all of a sudden, they're going to court. They never thought they'd be in court. They never thought they'd be found guilty in court. And it was very shameful. But yet they afterwards going, we rejoice that God counted us worthy to suffer. Philippians 1.29, Paul makes it clear. For to you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So again, if you are suffering for standing as a Christian, which most of us never have, probably aren't, but if you were granted, it is a honor that God is placing upon you. And the next thing is also, it's for Christ that he's doing it. In Philippians 1.29, once again, notice this part of it this, this time. On behalf of Christ, for you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for what? His sake. I'm doing it because I love what God loves, the church. But I'm also doing it because I'm rejoicing because I realize that 
Not all Christians, as a matter of fact, it's probably a very small percent of Christendom is going to suffer like Paul did. I don't think there's going to be half of Christians in heaven that have been imprisoned for their faith. I don't think there's going to be half of Christians in heaven that have been put to death for being a Christian. But there's smaller sufferings we can have for standing for Christ. And especially in the days to come, I think we'll see it more and more. Once again, in Acts 41, same verse, but notice again. For his name, we suffered shame for his name. It was for Jesus. And then he says a rather interesting thing. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Now, some of you are reading this going, bing, 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 red flag, red flag. You're, you're saying that, that Christ's cross wasn't sufficient? Let me tell you what this is first not saying. That. <laughs> it is not saying that Christ in justifying us, in redeeming us, in giving us the gift of eternal life was lacking. And we complete our salvation by our works of suffering for Christ. What is Paul talking about then? Is there something lacking in the afflictions? No, there's nothing lacking. Again, we've covered this in the last few weeks. Jesus did all the work, not of our works, lest we should boast. But it sounds like it, doesn't it? Remember, we went through this last week in verse 23, the longest sermon I'll probably ever preach. You guys remember that one, right? Oh yeah, my bottom still hurts. But the reason I took time to explain the difference between justification and sanctification, right? In saying that justification is not of ourselves, it's not of works, it's a gift of God. And even entirely being sanctified in heaven, another word for that is glorified entirely sanctified, are glorified in heaven. We are all, to a degree, going to be glorified in heaven. Righteous as Jesus is righteous. The Father will look at us as he looks at his son, Jesus. Perfect in righteousness. Not that we could ever attain to that, but it's a gift. But in between, being born again in the day we leave this body, there is a sanctification that is important. And, and we need to be sharers in that sanctification. Remember last week, we looked at that verse 23, where it said, if you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast, and all of a sudden you're going, hold it, ah, salvation doesn't happen unless I continue in the faith grounded, steadfast, and not moved away from the, the hope of the gospel. Oh no, because I falter, I stumble, I sin, I struggle. Does that mean I wasn't grounded and steadfast? Oh, I'm not, I may not be saved. And I said, guys, this verse if it has anything to do with justification, completely undoes everything written up to that point. That salvation is by grace. So it cannot, by merit, be talking about justification, but sanctification. And now the same with verse 24. If, if 24 is talking about justification, then salvation did not happen in Christ on the cross. Jesus wasn't sufficient. Jesus did part of it, and then you need to fill up that which was lacking in the afflictions of Christ. You're part of the pieces of the puzzle in order for you to be saved. But again, it's ridiculous to believe that, right? We've covered this. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. Tetelestai, paid in full. 
Let me take to you once again to Hebrews 9.26. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the end of the ages, he had appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He's done all the suffering for justification. He put it away by sacrificing himself. Even more emphatic in Hebrews 10, verse 11 through 14. Every priest standing, ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never uh, take away. This is, again, comparing Jesus to the Old Testament Jewish priesthood to the Jesus being the priest offering himself as a sacrifice. So the priest infinitely have to give a sacrifice every year, and it only covers this, the, the sin for a year. But in verse 12, but this man, interesting when it says that, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he sit down? Because it's finished. From that time waiting till his enemies were made his footstool, listen to verse 14, for by the one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Robertson, in his commentary, says this, Paul attaches no atoning value whatever to his own sufferings for the church. Here's an important note about that word affliction. It is a Greek word that never, ever is used for Christ and his sufferings. The only time this word, philipsis, is ever used in the New Testament is only referring to the suffering of believers in this life for Christ. So Paul is saying, what then? It sounds crazy filling up in his flesh what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Again, if you understand, it's talking about sanctification. Paul is explaining to us that Christianity doesn't get spread. It doesn't bear fruit. God's will in your life, the works that he has for you to do to cause Christianity to be known, for people to be discipled, and for your rewards in heaven, it's going to have to take this mentality. When it comes to the area of sanctification, God's Holy Spirit is at work to sanctify you, but without you, he won't. But as we try to live a sanctified life without him, we can't. But in the day we are born again till the day we leave this body, the Holy Spirit is constantly at work to cause us to be the most fruitful we can be, can be the greatest light we can be, to spread the most amount of salt we can spread, to cause Christians to be greatly encouraged by our presence and non-Christians to be convicted and know of the love of Jesus our life is so short, isn't it? I mean, if you have another 25 years, do you know how many days you need to suffer in the flesh, to live in the spirit? That's 18,250 days. You, you can't even buy a used car for that anymore. <laughs> if that were dollars. But if you have another 25 years, and I'm being overly generous to myself <laughs> and others here. 
18,000 times to wake up in the morning, fall on our knees, give the day the Lord and say, Jesus, I want to follow you today. Take up that cross and follow Jesus. Then tomorrow, 18,249 days, <laughs> 18,248 days. And you know how quick life goes by, guys. It's but a vapor, isn't it? So understand that when Jesus talked about the cross, he never talked about the cross of him in one day dying on the cross. For three years, he talked about the cross a lot. And he never told them until the very end that he himself was literally going to be crucified on the cross. And I don't think the apostles really understood it until they're at the foot of that cross where Jesus is hanging. But they did know a lot about the cross, didn't they? For three years, Jesus, right at the beginning of his ministry, he told them all in order to take one step as a follower of me, they weren't called Christians yet, but you want to be a follower of Jesus every step, the only way you can follow me is if you, like me, are carrying a cross. So what am I saying? That Jesus, for three, 33 years that he lived on this earth, he lived the crucified life before he ever was crucified. Do you understand? It, it was, he lived the crucified life. How was he so fruitful? How was it that he was tempted at all points, but never sinned? Because he understood, I've got to crucify this flesh with its passions and desires. I need to take up my cross years before, probably 12 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old. I got to carry the cross. And then one day actually hang on that cross to pay for the sins of the world. But before I, Jesus ever went to the cross, he always had the cross with him. And this is how we also need to live filling up in our body that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Jesus said it in Matthew 16, verse 24 to 27. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Here it is, guys. Take up his cross and follow me. And then he explains what that means to have a cross. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will, what? Reward each according to his work. So even when Jesus was talking about the cross, he was talking about sanctification, wasn't he? If you want to follow me, and it's assuming that they would believe in the death and resurrection of cross in the future. Understand that in order to someday stand before God in judgment, we're all going to stand before God in judgment. When that day happens, the Father is going to be there. And some, not all Christians, are going to be presented for rewards by Jesus the Son of Man will come in his glory of the Father and his angels and reward. We learn in other gospels, not here, but if you don't live that sanctified life, you will not rule and reign with him. 
To some degree, we're all kings and priests to our God. But the one guy who's clearly a believer, but he had one talent, he took that talent and buried it in the dirt because he was afraid of the awesomeness of God. And when the guy who had 10 talents or five talents came and gave him 10 talents, he said, you'll be over 10 cities. But the one guy who didn't take up the cross, who didn't live the sanctified life, who just buried it in the dirt and forgot about it until the day of judgment, until the day he would have to stand before the God for reward or not, he dug it up and said, here it is, back. He never did anything with it. We've been talking about this. It has nothing to do with justification. It has to do, as First John said, are we going to shrink away in shame at his appearing? Are we going to be found faithful? One thing that God wants for us to be found faithful. Don't you know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we're all going to stand before the Bema seat, not the white throne of judgment for damnation non-believers, but the Bema seat of Christ for rewards or, as he says in 1 Corinthians 3, no rewards. <laughs> All's lost, just the foundation of Christ. They're saved, but they have no rewards in heaven. That's the one talent guy <laughs> who even got that one talent taken away. But he says, don't you understand Knowing the, the awesomeness of God, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we warn every man, we persuade every man, saying you're going to have to give an account of what you did in your body to God someday. Every secret thing is going to be revealed. Every hidden thing is going to be revealed. All is going to come to light. It's interesting that science has discovered that every sound made on earth never goes away. It actually goes into the sky and it keeps going and going. Maybe they'll find that out about what we do also. But I think on that day of judgment, God can just take us right out into space going, okay, let's look at your words. We're actually hearing our own words. We're not hearing a recording of it. We're actually hearing those words. But everything we said, we're going to have to give an account. Everything we've done, we're going to have to give an account. Not for condemnation. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ but for reward or lack of reward. So Paul is trying to explain. You say, Paul, don't you, don't you realize that that statement is going to really shock people? Don't you understand saying, I have to fill up my body what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ? That's going to cause everybody to go, ah, my brain, ah, it hurts, ah, bing, bing, bing. It's going to stretch everybody. Yes, I know. I know this is a radical statement and everybody's going to have to chew on it and work it out. I just got through saying right there in the book, it's salvation's free. I, the other letters they all got, Ephesians, Galatians, I make it clear that salvation's a gift, not of works, not of yourself. And then I say, I'm filling up my, in my body the, the, that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. What in the world? He wants it to be shocking. He wants us to have to wrestle with this verse. Because it's serious. It's not a, a thing like, yeah, I'm going to heaven. That's all that really matters. I have no rewards in heaven. Big deal. He's saying it is a big deal. And you're going to see how big of a deal it is on that day. So Christ died on the cross for, took, and took care of our justification and also our ultimate sanctification, which is called glorification also. But our sanctified life which is also called the crucified life, out of love and for rewards. So 
Are you living the Christian life? We really should just quit saying that, huh? We really shouldn't say, are you living in sanctification even? We should simply ask the question, are you really carrying the cross? Are you really crucifying your flesh with this passion and desires? Are you living the crucified life? Paul says, I am. In essence, that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ is my cross that I bear alongside Christ as I move forward. Paul says it plainly in Galatians 2.20. I'm sure you all know this verse well. I have been what? Crucified with Christ. What does he mean by that? We were all crucified with Christ positionally. When he died, we all died. When he rose again, we all rose again. But he's not talking about positional justification here. He's talking about sanctification. I've been crucified with Christ. And then he says, here's what it means. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Look in Galatians 5, 24 and 25. For those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, God lives in us, we're born again believers, let us also walk in the Spirit. So we know God's Spirit's in us. And he's saying that's great, but it's not sanctification. You've got to choose to take up that cross, deny yourself, deny yourself, take up that cross and follow Jesus. And then Galatians 6, 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in what? The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what he says. For whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Do we see that? The world, I mean, crucified to the world. So many verses I could have added in here uh, above that, but I I just had to stop so I didn't do another hour and 20-minute sermon. (laughs) The third thing here, understanding this, we all have the calling for sanctification's sake to fill up in our body the afflictions of Christ to fulfill our ministry while on this earth. Remember Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. It doesn't say that we are gonna walk in them. The Lord every day has predestined our life. He said this before time ever began. He predestined that everybody who believes would become the elect. And all the elect God's predestines our life for 100% fruitfulness. Isn't that radical? Not 20-fold, not 60-fold. God has predestined your days to be 100% fruitful. For you to have the maximum reward in heaven. But we have to be walking by faith. We've got to be walking in the Spirit. We've got to first deny ourselves, take up the cross, crucify our flesh, and it's passion and desires, crucify, as Paul says, I'm crucified to the world, and the world's crucified to me. I'm not living for this earth, but for heaven. And then he, he says in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 4, a passage again, we've quoted much in this last season. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. There it is, abound more and more. Fill up your affliction, that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. Doesn't mean you're going to. It's the ball's in your court. Are you going to walk 
in such a way that pleases God. For you know what commandments you gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you, here it is, should know how to possess his own vessel, referring to our human bodies, in sanctification and honor. That's what Jesus did. Probably starting at 12 years old. (laughs) He was ready to start his ministry. And every day the temptations come that come to 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds and 14-year-olds and 16-year-olds and 24-year-olds. All the temptation and and all of the, the youthful things. And Jesus kept his vessel in sanctification and in honor. So why do Christians suffer affliction? Number one, we suffer affliction in this world because Jesus did. In John 15, 18 to 21, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So you're in good company. If you are of the world, the world will love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Because the Lord has saved us, his spirit is in us, and we are followers of him. It only makes sense, right? If they hated him, and you're walking as Christ walks, then they're going to hate you. If they hated the spirit Jesus was of, and now God's spirit lives in you, they're going to hate you too. So what is he saying here? Is don't let the devil make it think it's you. You're such a nerd. You're such a dummy. You're such an ignorant person. You're such a legalistic person. You're such a judgmental person. It's all about you, you, you. And you walk around going, yeah, I am annoying sometimes. And yeah, I can be a little slow sometimes. And yeah, I can be, I can say stupid things. Yeah, you know, I I think they hate me because of me. Well, again, they out and out said, at least we knew who our father is, calling Jesus a bastard. Oh, he, he, he gets drunk. Jesus drinks too much. He eats too much. He's a glutton and a drunkard. And then they came out and they said, he does all these miracles because the, the head demon, Bezalel, is in him. He's possessed by the head demon of the Galilee area. And that's where Jesus said, whoa, that's blasphemy. You, you, you can say all kinds of things about me, and, and I'll just take it as a, a lump. But the moment you blaspheme to that degree, that is crossing a line that you cannot come back from. But nevertheless, Jesus makes it clear. He goes on in John 15, verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not a greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, then they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. Chapter 16, verse 1 through 3 of John. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogue. Yes, they will... Time is coming that whoever kills you will think he's offering God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. This is also just a part of our calling as a, being a witness for Christ. First Peter chapter 2, really the whole chapter talks about this, but just looking at the last part of it in verse 21 to 25 of First Peter 2. He says, for to this you were called. 
because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. So Jesus' whole ministry of walk, carrying the cross every day, but then also dying on the cross, all, all of that that he did is, is actually a perfect fit for us. What Jesus did was extraordinary. But this extraordinary life of persecution and suffering is also what we're called to. Not, not everybody, again, is going to have it to the same degree as the persecuted church in China or the former Soviet Union or um, as it has been in the Muslim countries. But nevertheless, we need to be prepared. Verse 22, who has committed no sin, nor is deceit found in his mouth, who when he reviled, notice, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So let's, let's understand here that if Jesus didn't carry his cross, if Jesus didn't live the crucified life and then ultimately was crucified, we would never be saved. We never would be born again. And Peter says it's as true for Jesus and, it, and for you. It's equally as true for you. People are not going to come to Christ unless you are willing to suffer in this life. We go out and, and witness several of us here. And it didn't happen a lot. It didn't happen at all during the COVID, interestingly enough. But since then, people are starting to get vicious again. And, and sometimes, man, they, they are, if they had a gun, they'd probably shoot us. If they had a whip, they would beat us. It's amazing to see people, you know, just get vicious when you're just trying to, you simply ask them the question, do you know how to have eternal life? Ah, and it comes out, you're against abortion and you're oppressing us and you're destroying our country and, uh, uh, you know, and you're just like this flame of fire coming out of their mouth and you stand strong. I had a guy in San Diego who came up to me when I passed through there. And he said, I worked, and I don't remember which big company it was here, Boeing or one of them like that. And he said, the guy next to me for 15 years, I gave that guy hell. He never had one happy day at work because of me. He would just constantly stand for Christ, and I would constantly just tear him up. I find that my life got so miserable, it crashed and burned. I ended up moving to San Diego and coming to Christ some years later. And he, looked, and he just said, man, I wish I could find that guy and, and tell him that it took 15 years of me beating him up to come to Christ because he constantly responded like a Christian. He never, in reviling, reviled in return. He didn't try to get even a revenge or get me fired. He goes, I tried to get him fired several times. I lied trying to get him fired. 
He hated him. He really hated this Christian because he was a Christian. And in essence, I'm just simply saying, when we don't hide our light under the bed, but take it out and put it on the lampstand, okay, he's going to come. The demons are placed strategically. There's not an infinite amount of demons. The devil has to use them strategically. And to those Christians who are bearing their Christianity, the moment they walk out the Christian doors, like, yeah, don't waste one demon on them, not even a second. Leave them alone. They're great. They're, they're, doing, they're, doing, they're, they're very helpful for us. <laughs> the more Christians that don't live like Christians during the week, but just on Sunday, man, we got, thank you. Thank you, Christians, for not following the Lord all week. That You're making my life easier, the demons would say. But to those Christians that, are stepping out of their comfort zone. And you know what? I've been out witnessing so many times, it's never comfortable. At least when we start. I'm dying a thousand deaths. I'm like, okay, what excuse can I come up with so I don't go witnessing? <laughs> oh, my back hurts. No, it doesn't. No, uh, headache. No, no headache. You just feel the oppression. As you get there closer, you just feel this demonic, wet, heavy, hot blanket. And then you get out there and you start to share and and. Yes, you get rejected, but then those people that listen to the gospel, you're like, I'm, I'm not even going to eat or sleep. I'm just going to do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There, you know, I've had, Cheryl and I have had four kids. She did most of the work on that. But, <laughs> but I can tell you somebody being born again is of a million times greater joy to me than even having my own babies. But you've got to be willing to take up a cross. I don't think anybody's going to start sharing their faith without first crucifying themselves to the world and the world to them. I don't think they're going to start shining as a light and telling, inserting Jesus. We were at Costco yesterday, which was a very foolish thing. First of the month, holiday weekend, Friday afternoon. Very stupid. But we sat next to this couple while we were having a, uh, chicken sandwich thing. I don't know what they're called, but they had a new baby and, and uh, they were from New York. They had no family around. They haven't lived here very long. And, and I said, hey, we'd love you guys to, to come to church. So we found out where they lived, not very far away. And the guy was like, wow, yeah, because we have no friends. I said, hey, do you have any family to help you with the baby? that a two-month-old? No. Do you have any friends? Uh, none that I would trust. Um, you know, can I smoke marijuana while I babysit? You know, I, I don't know what their situation was. But I, I said, hey, we'd love to come to church. And the girl just shut down like she was quenched. But the guy's like, wow, yeah. That, that's, and it's just, again, it was so hard to say that. Because it's spiritual, it's demonic. It's, you're literally having to walk through demons. You're having to take the blows of the sword and of the, the bats and the fiery darts simply to say something that simple. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? And so again, I, I say to you, to this we were called. For Jesus, every community went into, it was a price to pay. He's there in Capernaum. Demons are screaming and People are yelling at him and Pharisees are showing up from Jerusalem to try to figure out a way to arrest him. He just had to keep fighting through it, didn't he? Try to go away and pray. And this, the, the, 
the other apostles that stayed behind, they're fighting this demon they can't cast out. Even though they had cast out demons, they can't this one. And he returns to find this horrible, weird, demonic situation. Again, I think Christians, they start to share their faith or they start to really pray for people. And the pressure comes and they're like, oh, my life's unhappy. It's hard. Oh, this is so difficult. And, and, and they just start focusing on earth again to make my world better. And they don't realize, yeah, Satan took the pressure off. So as long as you focus on the world and not in spiritual things, yeah, I'll make your life easy. I'll make you deal with you, man. <laughs> don't let your faith leave this room right here. And I will not bother you because you're not going to bother me. <laughs> but take your faith outside this church and believe me, you will pay the price. Sort of like the Republicans who vote Republican. You will pay the price, right? I figured you uh, political people would enjoy that one. Anyway, 1 Peter chapter 4 tells us this in verse 12 and 13. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which will try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Don't, don't think this is out of the ordinary. Like, this never happens to Christians. Fiery trials? No, we don't see that anywhere in the Bible. But rejoice in the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. And when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So guys, don't murmur and complain. Rejoice in it. Rejoice through it. Say, yes, Lord, thank you for letting me um, be, be regarded and granted the honor to suffer for your name's sake. Thank you. The devil's mad. The devil's pounding me. That's a good sign. I actually said that a few weeks ago to somebody. I said, they're like, how are your week? How's your week going? I'm like, too good. That worries me when the devil's not picking on me. I'm not doing something right. But when the devil's picking on me, I feel good. I'm like, all right. I'm occupying a couple of demons and, uh, and he's got to do it. So that means I'm being fruitful. And then the suffering, again, that's been granted to us from Christ for our rewards. Listen, listen to how clear this is from Jesus. In Matthew 5, 10 through 12, blessed are those who persecute for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely, by the way, for my sake. Rejoice, and not only rejoice, but be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he's saying to these New Testament guys, imagine yourself standing next to Jeremiah, Noah. You're standing next to John the Baptist. You're standing next to all of these men through history who have been persecuted for their faith and they're getting that crown of glory for, for standing strong against the enemy's attacks. And now you are side by side with them with the same reward as they got. Boy, wouldn't that be humbling? And what do we see in the, in the Revelation passage? They finally see Jesus, the Lamb of God upon the throne, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. They see him as a lion and a lamb, and they see the glassy sea, which I believe is the sea of grace before him. What do they all get to do? They bow down and they throw their crowns. Don't you want a crown to throw? <laughs> and say, you alone are worthy. 
Listen again how clear this is. In, in, in Romans 8, 16 and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if indeed you suffer with him. We will also be glorified together. He makes it really clear in verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the what? Glory which will be revealed where? In us. I think the greatest reward is not going to be crowns. It's going to be the kind of body we get. And I believe that the more that we, the greater rewards we have, the greater kind of body we have to glorify God, a greater body of glory. Some will have lesser glory. Some will have greater glory. And um, hang in there with me as we go through 2 Corinthians 4. 7 through 18, again, making it so clear how we fill up in our body the afflictions of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, talking about our bodies. The excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We're hard pressed on every side, amen? But not crushed. Let's hear an amen after each of the other ones, okay? We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Carry, always carrying about in the body, what? The dying of the Lord Jesus. Interesting. I would have thought he was always carrying about in our body the resurrection power of Christ. He does say that someplace, but here he's saying it's all about the three years before the cross and then him on the cross, that we would carry about the, the same need to carry about on us the dying of the Lord Jesus. Why? That the life of Jesus also, also, also may be manifested in our body. We who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal body. Verse 12 is the key. So death is working in us, but what? Life in you, life in others. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to it is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe, therefore we speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake. The grace having spread to the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore do not lose heart, even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, <laughs> all depends on perspective, right? Half empty or half full. The light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more, what? Exceeding eternal, here's the word, weight of glory. That word weight, a heaviness, it's, it's saying a, a greater glory. These light afflictions are going to give us eventually as we stand before God on reward, a greater glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but things which are not seen are eternal. And then here's the final phrase, for the sake of his body, which is the church. Do you understand how dif different this is in contrast to the other religions that are trying to affect Christianity? When, when the Gnostics or the aesthetics, just like Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses today, they're doing good works for themselves to be 
right with God, to be right with the Mormon church, to be right with the Watchtower Society. It's really, they're not knocking on your door because they really love you. (laughs) They're doing it for their own righteousness. But in Christianity, the contrast is we're doing it for other people because we love them and want to see them. It doesn't benefit us. It benefits them. And that's why we're willing to live a life following in the footsteps of Jesus, an other-centered life rather than a self-centered life. For Christ, also the Apostle Paul, and I should say for us as well, it's about the love for the church. Jesus labors still because of the great love for the church, awaiting the day that he can present us holy to the Father. In Ephesians 5, 2, walk in love as Christ also has what? Loved us. Walk in love as Christ has loved us. Given himself for us. Give yourself to others as Christ gave himself for us and offering a sweet-smelling aroma to God. And I just have to stop here and say, guys, we've got that here. There are people that have been year after year, decade after decade, getting here early to set up, staying late to take care of things, serving the kids, serving in the technical ministry and the worship. I mean, it goes on and they're doing it for the love of the church. And it's amazing, healing, powerful thing to see them grinding out continually for a love for God's people. Well, you know Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, husband, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. In the same way, we need to love what God loves And if God loves the church, we love the church. If Christ gave himself for the church for justification, we want to give our lives to the church now for sanctification. And so he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water and the word in the same way we want to wash one another in the word of God. In Revelation 1.5, it says to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood again, out of love. Speaking of the church, the love for the church, willing labors. In Philippians 1.8, God is my witness, how great I long for you, all with afflictions, afflictions of Jesus Christ. Galatians 4.19, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I long for you with the affections of Christ. I labor for you till Christ is formed in you. And then he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, I was like a nursing mother breastfeeding you. I was like a father tenderly caring for his kids with a great affections. Well, today we leave this message with rejoice in your sufferings. You've been counted, you've been granted worthy. Rejoice with great joy, for great is your reward in heaven. And you're in good company with Jesus. You're in good company with all the Old Testament men of God. And you're in company with all the fellow believers, starting with John the Baptist on down, who have suffered. And that we would be willing to fill up in our body that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ today. Why is our country going down? Why is the darkness 
greater than the light right now in this, this time that we're in. Satan didn't get stronger. Darkness didn't get darker. The light is not shining as brightly. People are unwilling to even give up a couple hours on a Sunday morning. People, it's always been the case since I've pastored, in the 40 years that I've pastored, the least attended service is the prayer meeting. There's just an unwillingness to take up the cross. There's an unwillingness to fill up that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. And I say to you today, let the love of Christ flood your heart like it's never flooded your heart before. And let the love of Christ constrain you like it's never constrained you before to do all the work of God, not to bear 20-fold or 60-fold, but a day at a time to bear a hundredfold. And do all of this for a love to God and a love for his church, which he loves so much. Thank you for your word today, Lord, and thank you for giving us this wild and crazy verse to challenge our thinking, to awaken, I'm sure, Christians across the world out of their lethargy if they are in so lukewarm or they are wrestling with various Christian duties, from reading their Bible to praying to witnessing to going to church to whatever the Christian duty is that that you have given us to do, not for salvation, but for sanctification, that they would dust off their Bibles. They'd get out their knee pads. They would once again get some tracks to go and share the Lord and that we would be shouting it from the rooftops that Jesus saves, that he loves you. The Father sent his Son because he loves you, that whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. Let the gospel message go out through us, Lord. Use our hands, our feet, our mouth, and let us live that crucified life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.